be sure to follow us on Instagram at criminalafpod or click on the link in the episode description. could get any more tragic, but now we find out that police missed a series of opportunities to detect Bernardo on the uh, kidnappings and rapes of Christian French and Leslie Mahaffey. Uh, there were tips coming in as early as uh, 1989, 1990. Bernardo's defense lawyer, John Rosen, that Tammy was sexually assaulted by his client five months earlier in July 90, after Carla Hamalka put powdered value her baby sister's spaghetti sauce. But Bernardo claimed Homoka watched while he raped the girl on Carla's bedroom floor. Then he dropped her off on a quiet street and never heard anything more. Bernardo insisted he and Homoka were equal partners in the crimes and the freeway set. Bernardo admitted he kidnapped and raped Leslie Mahaffey and French, but he denied killing them. This episode of Criminalized Fuck contains descriptions of disturbing graphic violence, which may be offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. It was Christmas Eve morning on December 24, 1990, in St. Catharines, Ontario. The arctic blast gave you a chill to the bone as the snow crunched under your feet. Rather than celebrating the holiday by opening gifts, filling their home with laughter and memories, one family was braving the frost as they trudged their way from their driveway, up the shoveled walking path, and into their home that now seemed so empty, so sad. There would be no more festivities this Christmas, no laughter, no big holiday meal, and the only memory that would be made would destroy the meaning of Christmas for this family for years to come, more than likely, forever. Carl and Dorothy Homolka's 15-year-old daughter, Tammy, had died earlier that morning, just a little over a week shy of her 16th birthday. They had a traditional Christmas celebration the night before. The occasion was light, just a few family members. Carl and Dorothy, along with Tammy's older sister Lori, turned in a little early, excited for what the next couple of days would bring. Tammy stayed up. She felt a bit privileged to be considered old enough to hang out with her oldest sister and her fiancé. Tammy adored her sister, and may have also had a secret crush on her soon-to-be brother-in-law. He was very kind to her, maybe even a bit flirtatious, so for Tammy, spending time alone with them would bring her so much joy. <laughs> Wait, what are you drinking there? Uh, I... To celebrate the holiday and her upcoming birthday, Tammy's sister and fiancé would pour her drink after drink to the point where Tammy would pass out. But rather than waking up the next morning, feeling as if she was hit by a freight train, Tammy, still unconscious, began choking on her own vomit. 
Her sister and fiancé claimed that they tried to revive her. When their efforts fell short, they called an ambulance and the rest of the family awoke to the panicked scene. Carl and Dorothy rushed to the hospital to be by Tammy's side. Tammy never woke up and died shortly after. Just 15 years old with so much life yet to live, cut short from what was believed to be a night of celebration. Believed to be. Because this is only part of the story. The rest, as you will soon hear, is much more twisted, sadistic, and downright repulsive. It will leave you scratching your head and questioning the ties that bind a family. This is the story of two people who would become known as the Cannon Barbie Killers. Paul Bernardo and Tammy's own sister, Carla Homolka. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Gary Quarter. And this is Criminal as Fuck. What's good, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Criminal as Fuck. I'm Dave Jari, and joining me is my co-host, Garrett Corder. Welcome, welcome. So, the last episode, we discussed Israel Keys, and that was actually your first episode. It was. It was yeah. my first one. First so. attempt at podcasting in general. So. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, how was it? How was your experience? Any thoughts on the episode? It was fun. You know, there's a lot to learning to do, and, and it's it's. I'm glad that you brought me on. I yeah. really am. I'm excited to do more, and I'm excited to do more episodes. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, so... We only did like a little snippet of Israel Keys. There's only so much you can fit in the amount of time that, that we try to do. But uh, if you really want to do a deep dive, uh, there's a podcast out there called True Crime Bullshit. It's 500 episodes, basically all about Israel Keys. Or there's a YouTube channel called Top Notch Documentaries. It has a ton of audio. Um, so yeah, you know, if you want to learn a little bit more about him, you know, check those out. Uh, we're actually starting a Patreon for the criminal as fuck, uh, where you can donate as little as $2 a month to the podcast that has four tiers. Check it out. That's at patreon.com backslash criminal AF. Our socials are all the same still, uh, at Instagram. It's criminal as fuck pod. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's a serial holic on Twitter. It's at criminal AF and TikTok. It's criminal underscore AF. And for merch, you can go to theserialhawk.com and click on the shop. We just opened up a store. Check it out. See what, oh, see what you go like. Go get yourself there. some merch. Yeah, represent. <laughs> it's good, too. It looks cool. Yeah. And uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, voice messages. Go to the Anchor app, please, and leave us a voice message, and we'll answer you in the next episode. Uh, ask us anything. Yeah, we'll, we'll, play, it on, we'll play it on stream. We'll, yep. we'll, do, we'll answer it live, too. Yeah, so so that's about it for all the business part of it. You ready to get into this? Ah, uh, this one's rough. This is fucked up. This this is this story actually kind of made me a little sick to my stomach. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we should do a shot to get through this one. I'm down. All right. If you guys at home want to want to join in, go Salute. for it. Cheers. All right. And let's get into it. Here's chapter one of Ken and Barbie. 
Carla was just 17 years old when she met 23-year-old Paul Bernardo on October 17, 1987. Carla, an animal lover, worked for Number One Pet Center with the hope that one day she would become a veterinarian. On this day in October, Carla and a few co-workers had taken a trip north to the city of Scarborough for a pet convention and checked into a hotel. Later that evening, Carla and another young woman snuck down to the hotel lounge. Moments later, in walked Paul Bernardo. As soon as their eyes met, it was instant attraction. Paul joined the girls and Carla was head over heels. Within a couple of hours, Carla had joined Paul in his hotel room where they had sex for the first time. From that moment on, the two were inseparable. Paul would travel the hour and a half from Scarborough to St. Catharines several times a week. This was also the period of time that Scarborough was making the news for other reasons. Scarborough is known for its large bluffs overlooking Lake Ontario. The shore is lined with parks, beaches, hiking trails, and is home to the Toronto Zoo. Although there are small areas of high crime, Scarborough was considered to be a nice place to settle down and raise a family as many still do. But between the years of 1986 and 1992, Scarborough, St. Catharines, and the areas in between, it was anything but. During these years, there was a predator on the loose, stalking women from the ages of 15 to 22, mostly at bus stops. The first known assault occurred on May 4, 1987, when a 21-year-old woman was followed from the bus stop and raped in front of her parents' home. The second occurred 10 days later, on May 14th. A 19-year-old was also followed home and raped in her backyard. Then July 17th, a young woman of unknown age was physically and viciously assaulted. The monster tried to rape her, but when she fought back, he fled the scene. There was an attempted rape of a 15-year-old girl on September 19, 1987. The would-be rapist broke into the home and jumped on the girl, holding a knife to her throat. He beat her and bit her ear. The attempted rape was thwarted when the girl's mother entered her room and screamed. Another man was wrongly charged with this crime and served a 16-month sentence. By the time that Carla and Paul had met, Scarborough had four reported sexual assaults, and things would just escalate from there. The Toronto Police issued a warning to the public about traveling alone at night after a 15-year-old girl was raped on December 16th. The media gave the attacker a moniker, the Scarborough Rapist, when he raped a 17-year-old girl on December 23, 1987. He remained quiet until April 18, 1988 when he attacked a 17-year-old, and on May 25th, the Scarborough rapist was nearly caught when a Metro investigator saw a man hiding behind a tree. The investigator gave chase, but the rapist got away. Forty kilometers away, in the town of Mississauga, Ontario, an 18-year-old was raped on May 30th, 1988. On October 4th, the Scarborough rapist assaulted a woman of unknown age. She fought him off and the attacker fled, but not before stabbing her in the thigh and buttocks. The assaults were getting more violent each time. 
moving from penetration with just a penis and fingers to inserting sticks, knives, rocks, anything to bring total humiliation to his victims. He again raped an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house on November 16th. A neighbor intervened and interrupted an intended rape on December 27, 1988. On June 20, 1989, neighbors were alerted by the screams of a young woman and her attacker ran off. There were rapes of a 22-year-old on August 15, 1989, a 15-year-old on November 21, a 19-year-old on December 22, and the last known rape of the Scarborough Rapist on May 26, 1990. This time the 19-year-old saw her attacker and gave police a detailed description. Two days later, the sketch was released to the public and tips poured in. One man in particular was reported by a bank employee as fitting the description and another report came from a woman who reported that the rapist could be one of her husband's friends, whom she claimed bragged about his sexual exploits and often spoke of his love for rough and aggressive sex. After sifting through thousands of possible suspects, police finally brought in this man. He introduced himself as Paul Bernardo, who had recently moved to St. Catharines in May to live with Carla and her family. He was pleasant, helpful, and willing to give police a DNA sample. Paul Bernardo was considered handsome and confident, someone who would never have a problem finding a date let alone be perceived as being the sadistic, sex-hungry rapist. DNA was in its infancy back in 1990. It would be another two years before the Scarborough Rapist would be revealed. Well, let's uh, get right into it. Paul and Carla. Mm-hmm. Um, two interesting star-crossed lovers. Crazed lovers. <laughs> Crazed lovers. Um crazy story where they met i mean a pet convention right like all the stars had to align for these two to get together the perfect match yep. um i think he found the perfect woman for him and there any other woman would have been you can't tell me that he didn't have some sort of aggressive sexual behaviors at the beginning of their relationship or whatever like any yeah. red flags that a normal woman would have been like no shot like yeah. this guy is she had to have liked that in some way. Right. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll touch a little bit on that later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. When we get deep down into what this mm-hmm. At this point, he's the Scarborough rapist. Um, uh, allegedly. Uh, allegedly at this point. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, but, I mean, according to uh, a documentary that I watched, uh, he by the, by the end of his freshman year of college mm-hmm. at Tor- the Toronto University, he raped seven women. No. So he was already deep into this. And when he met Carla, I think he was on his third at that point. Yeah, like uh, third or fourth. Yeah, yeah which, which is, is crazy that he – I'll always be intrigued by the 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 lover and victim dynamic. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he obviously cared about her in some way. Yeah. As far as his victim – I mean, he always degraded his victims. Right. Uh, and as time went on, it seemed like they went – they were more violent in nature mm-hmm. and it got to the point where the police even said that um they were afraid that this would spiral into homicide or murder right so yeah because he was like not you know as we as we talked about you know he was like putting different things in their orifices yeah. um 
he would also like rub their face in the dirt, you know, just totally demean them. Like, yeah, he got off like, on that. They were trash. Yep, he would you know? call them names, all that stuff. Yeah, and like while he's raping them, he, he wants them to reassure him that he's like the greatest. Like, wow, you're he, so great. He's and king. You're king. And, yeah. Oh my god, you're so good, and all this other kind of stuff. It's it's terrifying too, because imagine a 17, 18 year old girl. You know, being in that situation, just how about being fifteen? Oh, the first one, a couple of those victims are fifteen. Yeah, it, it, it gets worse, bud. Oh. Don't worry. That's why. That's why we needed the shot. Because I'm telling you, this is uh, yeah. This dude is just fucking out there. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear more. I, wanna, right. I definitely want to hear more. All right, here we go. Next chapter. As a child, Bernardo was perceived to be the perfect son. Polite, always smiling, cute with dimples. Every parent would comment on how amazing this boy was. But behind the dimples and groomed exterior, the seeds of discontent were being planted. Bernardo's father was a known pedophile, being charged with sexual assault of a minor in 1975. It is also alleged that he sexually assaulted his adolescent daughter as well. Bernardo's mother would become withdrawn from society and her family. At the age of 16, his mother told Bernardo that he was conceived through an affair and that the man he thought was his father wasn't. This enraged Bernardo, who would never look at his mother or any woman the same. He would constantly refer to his mother as a slut and a whore. Through his teen years, Bernardo would present himself as the life of the party, the man everyone wanted to be around, and for the woman, the handsome, funny charmer who was irresistible. Once women began to date him, however, his charm quickly turned to rage. He would force himself sexually upon them, and if they resisted, he would physically assault them and the relationships would end. He would have no problem rebounding, though. Bernardo would turn his charm back on for the next woman he crossed paths with. Carla Hamolka's upbringing was completely opposite. She was raised in a loving home. The oldest of three girls, Carla was popular, funny, and never had a problem making friends. During her teen years, Carla would begin to turn to a darker place. The bright, bubbly young woman would now spend more time in a room and adopting more of a goth lifestyle. The one thing that really made her happy was when she began working at Number One Pet Center when she was 15. She absolutely loved working with animals. Her co-workers thought it would be a good idea to bring the now 17-year-old Homolka to a pet convention. Carla lacked self-confidence, so when she crossed paths with the outgoing charmer and Paul Bernardo, she just met her knight in shining armor and would do anything to keep this dream alive. The first year of their relationship was everything Hamolka wished for. Her parents loved him, her sisters adored him, and he was quickly welcomed in as part of the family. There was one sticking point that would stand between Bernardo and Hamolka, and that is Carla's virginity, or lack thereof. 
Amolka wasn't a virgin when the two first met, and Paul would bring this point up from time to time, conditioning her to feel ashamed of this fact. By May of 1990, Bernardo had moved in with the Homolka family, and even though Bernardo couldn't have Carla's virginity, there was someone else's he could have. Carla's youngest sister, 15-year-old Tammy. After some persistence, Carla agreed that in lieu of her own virginity, she would offer Bernardo her sisters. In July of 1990, Homolka slipped a sedative into Tammy's spaghetti sauce. Once she passed out, Bernardo began to assault Tammy, but after about a minute, Tammy began to wake up. Still disoriented, Tammy was dressed and had no recollection of what had occurred. On December 23rd, the Homolka family was having a Christmas party. Celebrations were in full effect. Carl and Dorothy even consented to allowing Tammy have a couple of drinks. As the night died down and everyone was getting ready for bed, Tammy was allowed to stay up with Carla and Paul. Bernardo kept giving Tammy drinks, in which one of them had an animal tranquilizer mixed in that Carla had stolen from her job as a veterinarian's assistant. Carla promised Bernardo he could have Tammy's virginity as a Christmas present. This time, Tammy was kept unconscious with a rag of halothane placed over her mouth. Bernardo raped Tammy as her parents lay asleep not far away. This continued for some time before Tammy began vomiting and stopped breathing. Homolka and Bernardo quickly got her dressed, hid any evidence including bedding, and called for an ambulance. As the rest of the family rushed to the hospital to be by Tammy's side, Carla and Paul stayed home and finished getting rid of any evidence. The police who remained at the house to question Bernardo didn't think that it was odd that Hamolka had decided to do laundry in the early morning hours. Tammy never regained consciousness and died at the hospital. Her cause of death was ruled an accident, even though there were burn marks on her face from the halothane. Lost for words on this one. Um, uh, let's start off where, you know, Paul was found out that you know his biological dad wasn't his at sixteen. Uh, also, fun fact is that he, at sixteen he started stalking and you know spying on his neighbor, no. a female neighbor. Um, so that's when you could see his brain start to switch. Um, the hatred for his mother calling her names you know uh it's it's tough to hear because you could start to see the man screaming out for help and no, obviously nobody helped him at that point yeah. uh carla was a little different for me because she you know she seemed like a popular girl seemed like a normal girl but then got very in, like away from society decided to go in her room and you know start dressing goth like and all that stuff. yeah she was she was in a very like dark place like she just didn't she became like a serious introvert lack self-confidence yep. like just really down on herself at that point in time it's the perfect perfect recipe for a, a dominant to come in and take over a relationship like that mm-hmm. but that's when 
you know, when we bring up the whole Tammy situation where it changes for me, because as much as she says she's a submissive, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know anybody who would offer up their younger sister's virginity to her boyfriend. Right. That is a clear psychopath by every definition you can, you can hear. She is so obsessed with Paul at this point that she'll do anything for him, yeah. including that. Like, I, I, I just can't understand how anybody would get to that point where, yeah, you can have whatever you want with my sister. Yeah, even even obsessive relationships don't go that far. Right. You know, I, I, and, and that's where we're at in the story where we don't know, you know, is it him pressuring her or is she already is she, her, is her mindset already kind of tweaked? To be perfectly honest, I don't think he really has to put much effort. No, not at all. I don't think so either. He's just like, hey. Yeah, this is this I, is how it's going to go. I want to do your sister. And she's like, okay. Ugh. Whatever makes you happy. <clears throat> Whatever's fine. Yeah, craziness. So so we'll talk about it a little bit more. It's it, it's This isn't the end. It escalates. So, uh, Did you touch on the fact that he wanted to become a rapper? No. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So a trained accountant at the the University of Toronto, mm. but wants to, I, I don't know if it's like, what, what, what year is this, 91, 90? 90, 90, 90 yeah, 91. Yeah. So I mean, maybe, maybe Vanilla Ice has to, like yeah. a control on that age group, I guess. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Just, that's a wild random fact. I mean, that I speaking from someone who is in high school around the 90s, 90, 91, 92. Yep. I mean... <laughs> Did you want to be MC Dave? Bro, we had backwards pants. Remember uh, Criss Cross? Yeah. Yeah, with the backwards pants. Backwards shirt. Yeah. I mean, that was a rage back then. Drinking, so Drinking mad dogs. Everybody <laughs> wanted to be a, a rapper in the 90s. But, but here, here's a crazy thing also is that, like, Paul Bernardo and some of his friends would actually cross the border into the United States and smuggle cigarettes back and forth. You know what I mean? And, and later on, Carla would join them. But... Who's to say that when they came into the United States, were were there any rapes during that time? You know what I mean? I it might have spanned more than just right. the Canadian because uh, Saint you, you, and, you just don't shut off yeah your urges. You know what I mean? With somebody like that, with serial killers, serial rapists, like anybody who has who has that fucking tapness in their head, yeah. like you, you, it doesn't turn off. You, you see somebody, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna rape that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, not even like, I'm not going to rape her. I'm going to rape that. Because that's all they are is objects. You know what I mean? The the virginity thing creeps me out, too. Like, why some men are so obsessed with that. Yeah. Will always. Well, there was a video of him. I think uh, he was in college. You'll have to look it up online. But I remember seeing a video where everybody's, you know, having a good time. They're at a party, whatever. And one of his friends basically looks at him and says he loves to rape young girls and they're all like ha 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 so it was it was almost no i mean the 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 friends were the first ones to call yeah once the sketch came out right you know i i don't know how many red flags there are and and carla also said she told her friends that he was verbally abusive yeah early on in their relationship Mm -hmm. so i don't know i i we gotta hear more yeah gotta keep going there's definitely more and it doesn't get any better So, here we go. After the death of Tammy, 
Amolka and Bernardo quickly moved past the loss and were focused on their upcoming wedding. They would get annoyed with the rest of the Homolka family for grieving Tammy's loss rather than being happy for the upcoming nuptials. As Bernardo would say, how much time do you need to grieve? As the wedding plans moved forward, Bernardo's lust for virgins intensified. It is reported that Bernardo kidnapped a young teenager and brought her into the Homolka home in January of 1991, not even a month after Tammy's murder, and sexually assaulted her. When he was done, he dropped her off on an abandoned street. Shortly after, they left the Homolka home and moved to 57 Bayview Drive in Port Delusi. Bernardo and Homolka recorded everything they did on video camera to capture the memories within their new home. On June 7, 1991, Carla invited a teenager she knew from work to have a girls' night. The teen, only known as Jane Doe, went shopping and out to eat with Hamulka, and they finished the day off by returning to Carla's home to have some drinks. Hamulka mixed an animal tranquilizer in Jane Doe's drinks, and she lost consciousness. Carla then called Bernardo to tell him that she got him an early wedding present. Bernardo repeatedly raped Jane Doe throughout the night. The next morning, Jane Doe awoke as if nothing had happened and thought she just had too much to drink. On June 15th, Hamulka was asleep in her bed when she was awakened by Bernardo. He told her that he had a girl downstairs and he was going to keep her as a sex slave. The girl, 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey from Burlington, had gathered with friends the previous night to mourn a couple of classmates who were killed in a car accident. Mahaffey, who was known to test her boundaries and breaking curfew, was told that if she wasn't home by a certain time, the door would be locked. By the time the group of friends went their separate ways, it was one o'clock in the morning. Leslie tried her front door, but it was locked. She went to a nearby payphone and called a friend to see if she could stay there, but the friend's mother said no. Leslie figured she could just go home and someone would open the door eventually and she would face the punishment. Along the way back home, she crossed paths with Bernardo. He told Leslie that he was casing a house that he was going to rob. Unfazed, Leslie asked Bernardo for a smoke. When they got to his car, Bernardo grabbed Leslie, shoved her in the car, and blindfolded her. Back at the house, Bernardo viciously raped Leslie, orally, vaginally, and anally. This continued for several hours, over the course of a couple days. Hamolka mixed what she thought was a lethal dose of tranquilizer and gave it to Leslie. They thought Leslie was dead, but she let out a gasp, so Bernardo allegedly strangled her to death. They placed Leslie Mahaffey's body in the basement of their home. The next day, they hosted a Father's Day dinner with Homolka's family, with Leslie's body still downstairs. Once everyone left, Bernardo and Homolka decided it was best to dismember Leslie's body. Two weeks later, on June 29, 1991, Bernardo and Homolka got married in an elaborate ceremony. On the same day, 18 miles away in Lake Gibson, a fisherman noticed concrete blocks in the water. To his horror, sticking out of one of the blocks was a human foot. 
the body was identified through dental records as being that of 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. So, I don't know about you, Dave, but if you woke your wife up with a 14-year-old girl and said, hey, come downstairs, I'm, I have a sex slave for us. I, I, I don't know how to react with that one. Yeah. I, I don't know what would happen in that situation. Yeah, my, uh, my dick would be chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an understatement. Yeah. You'd be doing Lorena Bobby over a here. life sentence. Um, it's, it's interesting the jump from... I mean, Tammy was obviously an accident. They didn't want to kill Tammy, mm. uh, which is horrific in general that that happened to her, that young girl. Anyway, but Leslie was... Disgusting, actually. It, super disgusting. Yeah. But um, the the jump from an accidental kill, like killing to abducting a, a 14-year-old girl, murdering her, keeping her for several days as a sex slave, and then chopping her, her body up into pieces and putting them in concrete blocks, like... Usually, you know, you dip your toes in. The, yeah. Where wh- where did this come from? Uh, that that went from zero to a hundred real quick. Real quick, real 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 quick. Uh, and then, so it, it brings up a point, though. We actually touched before. Yeah, it was probably going to escalate. Like the Scarborough rapist, quote unquote. Yep. Is going to escalate, but do you go from do you escalate from raping someone to? murder and dismemberment dismemberment yeah that that's a you know I mean? totally different class so what's what's the what's the x factor in all this I, it's it's got to be carla in, in my mind like he he it's i don't know if he got the a-okay from her and that made him get severely more and more violent or mm. if it's her egging him on at this point or you know what yeah. i mean i to be perfectly honest i think i think it comes down to she's a submissive to a point you know, where he's he's like, hey, I want to rape this girl. I'm going to take this girl as my sex slave. Yeah. I want to do this and that and that and that and that. After a day or two, she's probably like, fuck this bitch. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The jealousy kicks Right, 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 right. Yeah. Like, let, let's strangle her. Yeah. Or, or something. <laughs> I like I, the inner conversations in those moments would be yeah. insane to mm-hmm. hear or just be a fly on the wall. I never want to be in that situation, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't mean any disrespect to to the people that you know oh. were, were harmed in, in this in this case, but it's I, horrible. I'm just speaking from the mindset that that they must be in, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's got to be a jealousy factor in there too. Yeah. As much, and and maybe that's where her brain started going the other way. Right. Because, like you said, uh, it, you know, it started off as serial rapes, and it, that happened all the line, but he never killed anybody. Yeah. Tammy was the maybe the the domino that fell that switched every both their mindsets into this whole thing because uh, you don't just start dismembering bodies right overnight yeah i mean if 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 you can get over the loss of your sister or like she had no remorse at all she was more mad that the the parents were sad about the tammy and not her upcoming wedding right like why aren't you They're like why why uh haven't you grieved enough i mean yeah, yeah. how, I'm, how I'm long married in two weeks yeah <laughs> how long do you need to grieve and that's my fucking daughter. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's and and they they were in the completely in the dark. Yeah, you know, and um, to find the body of Leslie too on the same day as the day that they get married is weirdly weirdly ironic. Um, 
Yeah, there was something in the stars on that one. It, dude, this whole story is there. It's it's creepy. It's a creepy situation, and everything aligned right for the perfect duo. And you you don't see that very often. That's why this story is so interesting to me, because you always it's usually you know the lone the lone wolf prey. Right. Um, and, and she's totally an accomplice at this accomplice at this point. She's not just this you know oh my husband's weird and I'm just gonna go along with it because I love him she's totally involved she's I mean obviously we know from the history of the story that she was involved in the raping too you know she did some horrible things to those girls too yeah we gotta keep going in August of 1991 Jane Doe is invited back to Hamalka's for a night of drinking. Again, Hamalka mixed a tranquilizer into her drink. While being raped, Jane Doe stopped breathing, and Carla called for an ambulance. Jane Doe began breathing again, and Carla called back to say everything was alright. Jane Doe survived the night and had no idea what was being done to her until it was revealed two years later. Nine months after the death of Leslie Mahaffey, on April 16, 1992, another young girl turned up missing, 15-year-old Kristen French of St. Catharines. This time, Paul forced Carla to join him, thinking it would be easier if they both worked together. Just as school was letting out, Hamulka and Bernardo noticed Kristen walking home alone. They pulled into a church parking lot. Carla got out of the car with a roadmap, pretending to be a tourist, and asked Kristen for directions. Once Carla had her distracted, Bernardo grabbed Kristen and pulled her into the car and sped off back home. There, Kristen was tied up and savagely raped throughout the Easter weekend. She was believed to be killed by strangulation on Easter Sunday, shortly before Carla and Paul went to the Homolka family's house for Easter dinner. Kristen French was found on April 30th, two weeks after her disappearance, in a ditch along a roadside. She was naked and had her hair cut off. Authorities quickly speculated that the death of Kristen French was tied to the death of Leslie Mahaffey, as Mahaffey was from Burlington and found in St. Catharines, and French was from St. Catharines and found in Burlington, nearby the cemetery where Leslie Mahaffey was buried. Carla and Paul's marriage started to become rocky. Paul, feeling invincible after getting away with the rapes and murders, began beating Carla, threatening that if she said anything about the abuse, he would tell her family everything that she had done. The violence escalated, culminating in Bernardo striking Hamalka in the face and limbs with a heavy flashlight in December of 1992. Carla received severe injuries, but didn't report the assault. When she returned to work, her co-workers saw the severe bruising of Carla's face and reported this to her parents. Carl and Dorothy physically removed Carla from her home, much to her disagreement. Carla was brought to the hospital where she pressed charges against Bernardo. He was arrested, but later released under his own cognizance. Carla later confessed to family members that Bernardo was a Scarborough rapist and he had committed the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, and their rapes were caught on videotape. 
So now we are on Christian French. Yes. Uh, another tragic victim in this situation. I mean, now they're a, a bona fide duo at this point. Yeah. They're, you know, it, it's almost eerily similar to, I mean, I mean, no, this is completely opposite of what they did, but, you know, like Epstein and Gazelle, Giselle or whatever, however you say her name, uh, very similar to them where they, they work together where she picked out the girls and, you know, uh, yeah. to, they, they went out that day to drive, to find, to abduct a girl, a young girl that day. Mm-hmm. So they were out looking. She even act, she's the one who called the Christian to the car, yeah. you know, um, depending on who you listen to, like if you listen to Carla, she'll say that Paul forced her mm-hmm. to go out oh, yeah. and participate in this. If you listen to Paul, Carla was 100% into it. Like, she's like, all right, let's go get our next one, you know? Yeah, later down the road, road when in the testimony, Paul said that she was the killer in this in this, this duo. Like, yeah. he never wanted to kill. That, that's He said that in the testimony. Well, uh, of course he did. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Yeah, At the yeah, same yeah. time, I believe what he's saying, where she was probably, where, where we talked about earlier, where the jealousy thing kicked in, mm-hmm. you know? Where she was just like, just kill her. Or along those lines, um, same same situation. Kept her for several days as a sex slave at that that young. That's terrifying. No, you know, chop her hair off. Yeah, they chopped her hair off because they figured that uh, with DNA and whatnot, you know, they could get a get away with it or whatever. Yeah. Well, DNA was nothing what it is now back then. Right. Too. That's the reason why he was never caught as the Scarborough rapist for so long because yeah. they had his DNA right. for that whole time um, it wasn't until way later uh, Paul finally putting her in the hospital for a situation speaks a lot too because I feel like th- that was the that was the nail in the coffin for them too like those two that caused a lot of problems that we'll you know touch on later but it, that was the moment where you know he, I mean if you, you see pictures of her she was completely black and blue oh she's fucked up yeah it wasn't even it was she was severely beat Mm -hmm. and you know and that now that point puts him more she was a victim of him too but here's the thing at first she didn't report it no of course not you know she she was like you know saying that she felt i mean it's it's sad it's typical like i get it when you're when you're in that situation you know you're trying to Hold on to the good in the person that you believe that's there. But, I mean, it, it is what it is. They're just a fucking asshole and they fucking, they beat you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I can understand, like, because when, when that first happened, she didn't go to the hospital. She didn't report it. And it wasn't until she went to work where her coworkers were like, Yo. yo like, yeah, you, you can't go to work looking like a raccoon. Yeah. There's no way that that's not going to be like mm-hmm. what happened to you. You didn't just fall right. at that, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, when while she was in the hospital, the Green Ribbon Task Force, which was assembled by the FBI and the Canadian police, uh, it was assembled to connect all these killings. Because the, the, if, if you look, her body, uh, Kristen's body, was actually found maybe two miles from the graveyard that Real close. Leslie. Yeah. yeah, it was it, a mile, two miles, was found right next to the, where Leslie was buried. 
I don't know if that was on purpose or if that was just their route that they took to dispose bodies. Oh, it's 100% on purpose. Sure. 100%. Um, that's what caused them to realize that those two deaths were connected. Right. And they started the task force because they thought they had a serial killer. And they were, there was eyewitnesses saying that uh, Kristen was talking to two individuals in the, the church parking lot. Mm-hmm. So they knew at this point that there was a duo going on. Yeah. It wasn't just a solo person. Right, and and, we, and right right at the at the onset of her, of Kristen's disappearance, like they knew that it wasn't right. Like she's not a runaway. She's yeah. she's not like, you know, had a fight with her parents. Blah blah blah. Because I'm leaving. Yeah, because at the where she was abducted, like Kristen put up a fight. Like she actually knocked Carla to the ground. Like this fifteen year old girl. Was fighting for her life. Fighting for her life. You know what I mean? And she left a shoe behind. Like, a shoe fell off. Like, the scene of the abduction is is just... It wasn't clean. Right. And, yeah. I mean, I... I gotta hand it to Kristen French. It's like, Jesus. She really, like, laid one on him. (laughs) She could have probably, probably, possibly got away if there wasn't two of them. That's the sad part about it. Yeah. Yeah, I... Let's, let's keep going. All right, let's do it. Last chapter. Here we go. Carla Hamolka, now speaking to the police, tells a story of domestic abuse and a sadomasochist marriage where she was a servant and had to go along with all of Bernardo's demands, painting herself as another victim of Paul Bernardo. They want to know more about the murders, but Carla's attorney was fighting for a plea deal. Meanwhile, DNA came back from a lab showing that Paul Bernardo was in fact the Scarborough rapist. He was arrested on February 17, 1993, and police obtained a search warrant with special instruction that only items related to the Scarborough case could be removed from the home and any videotapes found must be viewed within the home and not removed. The search of the home lasted 71 days, and no videotapes consistent of the rapes of Mahaffey or French were found. With Carla Hamolka being the only witness to the Crown's case against Paul Bernardo, the plea deal was approved and signed on May 5, 1993. The agreement stated that Hamolka would only receive 12 years for the manslaughter of Leslie, Mahaffey, and Kristen French. Unbeknownst to everyone involved, Bernardo had given his attorney instructions on where he could find the videotapes. They were hidden behind a light fixture in an upstairs bedroom. Bernardo's attorney withheld the videotapes from prosecution in the hopes that he would drop a bombshell when the trial started. The bombshell? Carla Homolka wasn't only a victim of Bernardo's sadistic ways. She was an active participant joining in on the rapes of Jane Doe, Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and of her own sister, Tammy Helmolka, sometimes with Bernardo and sometimes by herself. Also in a part of the video, it shows Carla, shortly after Tammy's death, wearing her sister's clothes and pretending to be her, performing oral sex on Bernardo as he looks at a picture of Tammy. Prior to the trial, Bernardo's attorney quit, and he turned all evidence over to his new attorney, including the videotapes. 
The new attorney quickly shared the discovery with prosecution, and they were furious they were betrayed by Homolka. But the deal with the devil was done. Paul Bernardo was ultimately convicted of the Scarborough rapes and the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. He was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. However, the judge ruled him a dangerous offender, making it virtually impossible that he will ever be released from prison. Carla Homolka served her 12 years and was released on July 4, 2005. She married her attorney's brother and now goes by Leanne Teal. Together, they have three children. Her family has lived in Quebec, Antilles, Guadalupe, and back to Quebec in order to give her children a normal life. She remains one of Canada's most hated people and still maintains that Paul Bernardo was a sole aggressor and mastermind behind a rape and murder spree. Insane story. Let's let's go back to the hospital where the task force comes in and investigates her for her black eyes. But at that point, they already knew that Paul was the Scarborough rapist. Right. His, his DNA came back. So they went there to investigate her. They had an idea that she was the other person in the duo in the car, but they didn't know for a fact. And they had no evidence to convict Paul to begin with besides for the DNA that matched the victims from Scarborough. Uh, she thought that they were closing in on the on them, and that's when she went and was like, "Hey, I'll give I'll give you everything. I just want you know I want a deal. You know I, I I'm an abused wife. I I'm yeah. you know a battered woman. He did he, everything. Yeah, he forced me. To he do forced everything. me to do these things. He forced me to help out. And uh, <clears throat> later down the road, we realized." No, not at all. That's insane. Uh, For her to only get 12 years for just her testimony, they call it the infamous deal of the devil, uh, deal with the devil. It'll go down in Canadian history as the worst plea deal ever. Ever. Yes. Um, Because when they, they were looking for those tapes, she said, hey, if you need proof, they're all at the house. They couldn't find them for some reason. I I don't know exactly. You probably know more. Yeah, the uh, the police search... uh the home for 71 days and they couldn't find but they were on they were under a lot of restrictions like they couldn't like tear walls down they couldn't you know do a lot of things any anything that was like freely removable they could do but they couldn't like demolish the place yeah you know what i mean which is weird because in america they, well they were, they <laughs> when were, you do it when you get a search warrant they'd rip shit apart well the search warrant was specifically for the Scarborough case. Oh, it wasn't okay. for the Leslie Mahaffey and, and Kristen French gotcha. murders. That makes more sense then. So, um, yeah. It, so she, she tells them, "Hey, you want all the proof you want?" They they had no concrete proof on them. They only had her testimony and what she was telling them. Mm-hmm. So, I get why they made the deal in the begin with because they didn't. I mean, anybody at first would realize, okay, this is a woman who's you know, abused and, and, you know, look at her black eyes and, and they probably at first look. Yeah. Yes. Until they, until the, they got a hold of the tapes and watched them and realized yeah. that she was just, and, and you, like you said earlier when we were discussing it, that, uh, she kept asking them, 
did you didn't find the tapes did you you found the tapes you found the tapes yeah. also i watched footage of her walking with investigators through the house that they were at and she was not a care in the world what was going on just mm-hmm. asking like oh my sister wanted that floor mat can i have that and and things yeah. like that like no remorse at all well one of the things is when you know she first reported well her parents when her parents first reported the abuse yeah and uh they yeah because she didn't tell investigators first she told her parents and that's when she well her co-workers when she went when she went to work her her co-workers called her parents yeah and her co- her, her parents went back and they physically removed Carla from the home. Yep. Carla didn't want to leave. She she was like, I I, I got to get something. I, I I can't I can't leave. I got to get I got. And they were like, No, you got to come. You know what I mean? This is over. You're done. We got to leave. And it was those tapes. Yeah. Like she was like, Oh my god, I gotta go. I gotta get those gotta tapes, get tapes. You know. So. The deal was essentially us. Like I think. She got 12 for each case, but she she only actually served 12 years, correct? 12 years, yes. Yeah. But she, but technically uh, her sentence was 12 for each. She was supposed to get 24 years for both. No, she got girls. she got 6 years for each. For oh, each. that's that's even crazier. Yeah. Um but and, but, it, but they they charged her with manslaughter. It wasn't Yes, murder. it wasn't even murder. It was right. manslaughter. It was manslaughter. So she, they gave her 6 years for for the two murders. Yep. And uh, yeah, when they when they found found out, they oh, yeah. were, they were pissed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pissed. I I, cu- I couldn't even imagine because they knew that it was going to get out. That because she played it so good, like oh he, yeah, he, that makes me. He did everything. He know, forced me to do this, and she, da, 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 da. she was also a mastermind because she knew that the the walls were closing in, and she got out of there. Yeah, she got out of there fast. Right, and hard, and then, and Paul got a life sentence with the possibility of parole for twenty five mm-hmm. years. Carla would have got a hell of a lot more if she didn't, if if police would have found that those videotapes yep. before she signed the the agreement, yep. the plea deal. Yeah, because once once you sign, you can't go back on that. Right. It, it's, it's they actually right. tried to though. They tried to, but then they were like, "Eh, we can't like, yeah. you know, we can't yeah, go back on not, this. We're, we're not going to go back." Yeah. So yeah, when they saw those tapes, it was Carla was absolutely one hundred percent. A participant in everything, even with Jane Doe, like yeah. they have they Tammy, her own sister, right? When when the when the police uh, initially did the the search of the house, they found a tape with uh, Jane Doe and with with uh, Carla, and Carla was going. I don't want to get too graphic, going down on her, you know, doing whatever she's doing. Like they saw that, but. Like I said, it wasn't related to Scarborough case, so they couldn't they couldn't take it. Yeah. Now, the other videos of Kristen French and uh, Leslie Mahaffey, even and even Tammy Hamolka, Ugh. those weren't found until uh, Paul yeah. turned them over to his lawyer. And even in his testimony, he said that you know Carla was the one who convinced him to kill. Mm-hmm. You know, but like you said, it, you'll never truly know who was that person because one's going to say one one's going to say the other it'll never change that way but now paul serving a lifetime sentence and the judge deemed him 
uh, a dangerous a, offender, a, a dangerous offender, and he's, he won't be eligible for the possibility of parole. So he's going to sp- spend his life. I mean, he'll, he'll he'll get his parole hearings. He's not going to get. But it. he's not going to. No, no shot. Especially as infamous as those two are in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not even for everybody. The, not even for the murders, the the rapes. Yeah, I mean, uh, what are we talking about by by the end of this whole debacle? What we're talking 14, 15, 16 women, and he uh, just rapes alone. Not, I'm not talking about the killings, yeah, and, and all that stuff. But you know, like a serial rape. And he admitted to, I think it was ten more that, after that weren't yeah. even associated with the Scarborough case. So yeah, I mean, danger to society is an understatement for him. Yeah. Uh, but now she, she are and, and just so people know, she's been out since 2005. Mm-hmm. Has a family of her own now at this point. Lives she's lived all over Canada, Montreal. She's she started a new life in Montreal. So you never know. Next time you go to Canada, you might run in. You might be sitting at the bar with uh, Carla. <laughs> yeah. Well. She she was actually like volunteering at her oh, yeah, kids' of, school. Well, of course, you're gonna. You know what I mean? oh, she was like even, doing like field trips. Worse. And, and it's like that's even who worse. is this bitch? Wait, wait, wait. Looking wait, over wait, my kids. Wait. So no, the most absolutely infamous not. person, one of the most infamous person in, per, people in Canada, and yeah. you, the school board's like, oh, you want to come to yeah. the PTO meetings? Yeah, come on, <laughs> come on down. You bringing brownies? Come on. What? Yeah. Especially when her victims were all under the age of 18. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, the youngest was like, I, I think the youngest was 14. Yeah. C- come on and participate with this family bake sale. Abs- you know, I, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I, I hate to call her a genius or like praise her for anything that she's done, but to, to serve 12 years out of this and get out of there unscathed. She also acted. It's not a, a genius, it's not anything. She is a criminal oh, mastermind. Yes, yes. She has that criminal mindset. She knew. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And, and poor, poor Paul was just like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> poor Paul. I, you know what I'm saying. You I know. know. What I mean. But, you know, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier on the last, you know, the last break that uh, that that hospital, his that beating, whatever happened between those two was the the nail in the coffin for everything oh yeah yeah none of that happens i mean eventually they would have got caught the dna came back paul was known as the the scarborough rapist so right it's it's yeah, just it was, that it he wouldn't like... have had the testimony you know she she felt i feel like she felt um uh you know like oh this piece of shit you know what i mean like i'm not she was a, like I'm this not motherfucker of, yeah i'm not i'm not just a victim too yeah. you know you know I'm he not wants to put hands on me yeah all I'm right not just one of these other girls yeah like we'll see what happens oh a horrible story yeah you know i feel bad for tammy i feel bad for the two other girls i feel bad for every girl that was you know um victims of these two and, and him alone uh, it, it's just horrible the yeah. the, the entire I, I hate to be the one who who says like with serial killers and whatnot, it's it basically comes down to the same thing, like their childhood was absolutely horrific. Yeah. Okay. But Carla's wasn't. That's not an excuse though. No, it's not. It's never is. Because look people... at their siblings. Yeah. Like they turned out fine. Yep. Like I mean, uh, Ed Ooh. Kemper, uh. BTK, you know, you can name anybody. Yep. Even you know Israel Keys that we covered. There was ten kids in Israel Keys. Yeah. Uh, he was a he was a nobody in that. Right. Family, you know, like nine other kids didn't do anything. 
but he did. You know what I mean? And with Carla, you know, there was there was two other sisters, perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, I, Paul I, Bernardo. Paul yeah, Bernardo. Yeah. Three. Yeah, he was the youngest of three, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, youngest of three. Yeah. The other two are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, young. It, it's just, it's it's a sad situation. It really is. And you'll never know. You'll will. I mean, psychologists can can pinpoint where things go wrong. Yeah. But the gene that makes you turn into a serial killer mm. is is still up in the air. It's still mysterious. Right. Well, it's it's nature versus nurture. Yeah. You know, nature is is you're born a psychopath. Yep. Nurture is what you experience during your childhood, and and a lot of it is is determined when a, a person goes through. They're like puberty. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. Uh, 10 to 14. Your mm-hmm. sexual awakening is when, you know, anything that you're, uh, if you are exposed to something graphic in mm-hmm. that area, that's usually your niche. Right. To, for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, those are prime areas of your life where mm-hmm. your obsessions and your sexual fantasies come to life. Yeah. Come alive. Right. Right in that prime area. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, great story, you know. Uh, episode two. I hope you guys liked it. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed listening. Yep. Stay tuned for the next Serial Holic. Yeah. And before we go, once again, check out Criminal as Fuck on Patreon where you can donate as little as $2 a month to help the podcast. Four tiers. Check them out. That's at patreon.com backslash criminal as fuck. Go to Twitter at criminal AF, Instagram, criminal AF pod. TikTok, criminal underscore AF, and YouTube, The Serialholic. Uh, again, go to serialholic.com and check out the shop. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you guys. Seriously. Uh, through the Anchor app, and we'll respond to your inquiry in the next episode. So once again... Thank you all for listening, and this is Criminal as Fuck.